right. Well, everyone doing well tonight? Yeah. yeah thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. It's good to see you. We, uh, we had a day that apparently was quite warm, but it didn't feel that warm, did it to you? I kept waiting to, you know, wear my flip-flops today, and it never came around. I was cold all day, so... Um, I, the older I get, this must be something with age. The older I get, the less I like cold. Can anyone else relate to that? Oh, good. Okay. Thank you. I'm in good company. We need to retake, uh, receive our offering. So if our ushers would prepare to do that, we would appreciate it. Thank you for your faithfulness and giving, for believing in the vision of Timberline. But more than that, for, for embracing and understanding the role of stewardship in our lives as followers of Jesus. Thank you for that. And so if you're a guest, we don't expect you to give, but we're sure glad you came uh, on a Wednesday night. So we've prayed. You can go ahead and uh, pass those plates. Uh, just want to make you aware uh, this weekend is uh, going to be an exciting weekend for us here at Timberline. Uh, it is our You Count weekend. Pastor Jeff has made it back from the other side of the pond, as he says. Well, he doesn't say it like that, but I've given up trying to say it like he says it. Um, and he'll be speaking this weekend, but really the service is about um, highlighting our efforts, uh, it, it, particularly in India, uh, particularly in Calcutta, India, um, to fight human trafficking and the sex slave trade that is so uh, prevailing there. Um, it's also to announce a new project that's going to be happening in Delhi um, with the U-Count campaign. And so I hope that you will be there this weekend. It should be a really good weekend. Well, I'm excited to get to participate in this series that Pastor Brent has been leading us through uh, on the 23rd Psalm. As I was thinking about our topic tonight, I was, I was uh, thinking about a show on television that my wife and I have kind of gotten into together. Uh, it's a reality show, which normally I do not enjoy, um, but this one's not like a wacky reality show. It's called American Restoration. Have any of you seen that, seen this show? Okay, a few of you. If you haven't, it's on the History Channel. You're missing it. It's a good show. It's a... Uh, it's about this place called Rick's Restorations, and it's located in Las Vegas, Nevada. And, and basically, it's this guy named Rick Dale, that's his name, and he's been restoring vintage items for like 30 years. And so he's got a staff there, his teenage son is on staff, and so, you know, there's always the interaction between dad and son. But these people will bring in all kinds of stuff, every kind of thing you can imagine, it's usually real old, and it's usually just beat down, worn out, broken, and they bring it to Rick's Restorations to have him restore the item. And so he and his staff go to work on those items, and, and always in the show, they unveil the finished product, and it is like as good as new, and oftentimes it's even better than new. It's beautiful, the paint is all fresh and all the parts are fixed and it works and it's just this and it's it's this great metaphor I think for the church isn't it I mean a place a place where broken worn down beat up people can come and and find restoration by the master restorer of broken lives 
And, and so it's this cool show. And so that's kind of what went through my mind as I was thinking about this series that we're in. And, and you'll see why as we move a little further along. One of the things that Pastor Brent's been doing that I've appreciated is, is uh, reading through Psalm 23 from a different version of the Bible each week. And so I'm going to read it tonight, uh, and I believe it'll be on the screen, from the New Living Translation. Okay, so this is the New Living Translation. Now, if you're like me, how many of you memorized uh, the 23rd Psalm when you were a kid? Okay, how many of you memorized it in King James? Me too. So it's like, you know, the poetry of that is, is like special. But I like some of these other translations and, and the way they look at the scriptures and the way, uh, and, and the New Living Translation well, I shouldn't get into that. It's probably a little more of a paraphrase than a translation, but that's a different topic. Okay. Um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I incidentally, I just need to tell you this. I was talking to someone right before the service who said that when she was like 13 or 14 years old, she was in the hospital. She needed oxygen. And, and back then they just put like a big tent over her bed to give her oxygen. And so she's like in this bubble of a tent getting oxygen. And she was in Girl Scouts and she was working on her, her God and country badge. And one of the requirements was to quote, to learn to, to memorize Psalm 23. And so she was in her bed in the hospital room quoting, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Quoting, and the nurse came up to her and said, sweetheart, you're going to be okay. <laughs> so that was a great story. Okay. New Living Translation, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff Protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me. I love that word. Will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Well, tonight we come to verse 3, and, and verse 3 from the NIV says, He restores my soul, and that's actually finishing the sentence that we looked at last week with Pastor Brent, and then a new sentence begins, He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now, as we know, David is the author of this psalm. We've talked about that. And David is certainly equipped to use the metaphor of shepherd and sheep because David was a shepherd. He got that when he was a kid. We know the story. I grew up with the story on the flannel board of, of David, the shepherd who goes and fights Goliath. So he, he gets shepherd and sheep. It makes sense that he would use this as a metaphor and a picture because he understands that. He also understands and is very well equipped to talk to us about this need to have his soul restored. Here's just a sampling. It's not on the screen, but just listen to another psalm that David wrote. Listen to the language. He says, O oh Lord, 
Do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? Same psalm, he goes on to say, I am worn out from groaning. What a picture. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. David gets what it's like to need his soul to be restored. All throughout scripture, and I love this about the Bible, we have these amazingly transparent renderings of raw emotion. I love, and I've said this before, but I love that, that scripture is not sanitized for our benefit. We get the real deal. We see real life people who, who deal with difficult emotions and difficult times and failure. We see jubilation and we see utter despair. And, and I would suggest that maybe the Psalms capture that picture best. They somehow capture that raw emotion better than anything else. And it's not surprising because artists have always captured raw emotion the best. It's just a gift, I think, that artists have to capture raw emotion. All aspects of emotion. And I, this, part of, this part of our talk is for free. I'll give you this one for free. But I, I, it kept coming, going through my mind. I don't know where or how it became unacceptable within the church world. And I'm speaking in general of church. In church circles to, to not be allowed to, to express what is real inside that raw emotion inside. Somewhere along the way, it seems as though churches have become as con concerned about image as the world is about image. And we've lost something of what it means to, it, the safest place on earth to be real should, should be the context of followers of Jesus. But in 25 years of being a pastor, Sadly, I've met many people who have mastered the art of pretending, and the training ground was church. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of, of an expression of the church that values authenticity and, and transparency and realness. And I thank God. I thank God for Timberline. I, I'm grateful that one of our core values is respecting other people's journey. It doesn't mean approving of, of everything they approve of or everything that they do, but it's a respect for the fact that they are on a journey, there is a story to their life, and it's okay to be truthful about that story. God is the God who loves us right where we are. He also is the God who loves us too much to let us stay there, but he loves us right where we are. Let's be a people that foster an environment where transparency is acceptable. And let's also be a people who foster an environment where we want God working on us to make us who he wants us to be. The opposite, 
the opposite of a culture of pretending is a culture where everyone's just authentic and real, but there's no desire to really change. Well, that's not what God desires either. And, and so let's embrace both of those. That part of the sermon tonight was just free. So your price of admission got two. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's keep going. So the Hebrew word, uh, the, the, or the Hebrew phrase, uh, actually, let me, let me tell you where I got this from. The, a guy named Philip Keller wrote a book years ago, like over 40 years ago, called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And, and he, the reason he wrote that is because he, he was a shepherd. He was tasked with the responsibility to care for sheep. And so he comes at it from that viewpoint of really understanding the role of a shepherd and, and sheep and how sheep function and act. And, and you know, throughout Scripture, we are, we are likened unto sheep. And it's not a compliment most of the time. Just FYI. It's not like you're cute, fuzzy people, Okay. There are some striking similarities between us human beings and sheep, and, and we need a shepherd, just as sheep need a shepherd. And so he likens the idea here of, of God being the one who restores our soul. He likens that to the idea of, of what he calls a, a cast-down sheep or a cast sheep, which apparently uh, is an old English shepherd's term for a sheep who, who, who tips over on its back, and because of the long fleece or, or being too overweight or whatever, the sheep is unable to right itself back up on its, on its feet, and so it's stuck there in that position. He said that that primarily happens when, when a sheep will lay down and you know, find like a comfortable spot in the ground, maybe a depressed area or a little hollowed out area, and, and maybe stretch its legs or whatever, and the, the center of gravity in that sheep's body flips it over on its back, and, liter- and panic sets in, as you can imagine, and, and the sheep says, I've fallen, but I can't get up, and, and is wiggling around, and that wiggling makes it worse, and they get themselves stuck in a place where they literally cannot get themselves right side up. And, and if they don't, they, there, is a, there is a brief window where they will die if they don't get right side up. And apparently, according to this guy who has cared for sheep, if it's really hot outside, that's a period of hours, potentially, that that sheep will die. If, if it's not so hot outside, it could be a period of days. But they also then become vulnerable to other animals. Uh, and, and so he likens that picture, the Hebrew phrase for he restores my soul can either mean he returns my soul from sin, from disobedience, or it can mean he refreshes my soul when I'm dry and when I'm lifeless. And I think both understandings were intended by, by David who, who wrote these beautiful words. I love what the great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said. He said, when the soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. He's the one who does it. There are times in my life where my soul is dry and empty and broken, and it's just from living life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because life can be hard. 
Because there is in this life, and just because we are in Jesus does not mean we are immune from disappointment, from hurt, from rejection, from heartache, from loss, or, or whatever. There are many things in our world that can cause our souls to be downcast, to be broken, to be empty, to become, to become dry. And then there are times when my soul becomes empty and, and dry and broken as a result of my own choices. Because I have strayed from God's intended story for my life. I, I've been captured by that metaphor as of late, the metaphor of story. Because my son, Zach, who's 20, uh, told me recently about a conversation he had with a couple of his friends. Neither of these friends are sure that there even is a God, that God even exists. And one of them was going through a really rough time in their life. And at some point in the conversation, my son Zach said, here's what I believe. He said, I believe that we are all broken as human beings because we've strayed from our intended story. But I also believe that there is a God who is actively engaged in our world to offer us a better story than the one we've chosen. And his friend, who's not sure there is a God, said, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And I just love that metaphor. Because I see in my life, when I stray from his story and start living my own story, my soul shrivels up, becomes dry and empty and broken. I can see it happen in my own life. And it's almost, it's almost always when I'm straying. Sometimes it's life that beats me down. But 100% of the time, when I stray from his story, my soul begins to shrivel. Whatever the case, whatever, whatever the cause, when the Lord is my shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still quiet waters. And as Brent talked about last week, he leads me into the context of Sabbath and the experience of Sabbath. And in that, he restores my soul. He brings restoration to the brokenness of my life when he's my shepherd. And notice that he's the one who does it. He's the one who restores our soul. I've discovered in the years of ministry that I've been in, that I can't restore someone else's soul. I can't do it. Now, I can, I can be an instrument in God's hands, and I can listen, and I can encourage, and I can support, and I can pray, and I can try to bring counsel from Scripture, but ultimately, it is God, our shepherd, who restores our broken, dry, empty souls. He's the one who does that. Well, then David goes on, to write these words. He says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Again, Philip Keller, who wrote this book, uh, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, he says that one of the most critical elements of shepherding is managing the, the land where, where the sheep graze. And he says that sheep are creatures of habit and and they return to the same place over and over, walk the same way, and create these deep ruts in the ground and utterly destroy the land if the shepherd is not managing the land well. So not only does it destroy the land, 
and destroy the source of food, but, but they get bacteria and, and disease and all sorts of things because of what they're eating because they've literally destroyed the land. So a shepherd has to take great care in where he leads the sheep for them to graze and, and to get food. He has to lead them in different areas. And, and he, he says like every few days, I believe, is what, is what he said. There's a striking similarity there. It's no wonder that, that we are likened to sheep throughout Scripture. Here's what I've discovered in my own life. My natural bent or my default is usually towards my own comfort. That's usually my default setting. In other words, in the context of what we're talking about, righteousness is not usually my default. I don't tend to just drift towards the way of righteousness, the paths of righteousness. I need to be led there by the Holy Spirit, continually led there. And you might be tempted to think, well, if Jesus is in your life, then that should be your natural default. And I think the way we come up with that answer is because we have a narrow definition of righteousness. See, if, if I think of righteousness as avoiding those sins that I really don't struggle with, then righteousness is my default. But whenever I make this book, whenever I make scripture and prayer a priority in my life, I find consistently that the truth in this book and the conviction of the Holy Spirit confront my life and expose my life and prod me and lead me and compel me towards paths of righteousness. There's a continual confrontation as I let the truth of this book speak into, into my life. It's been interesting to me. This might be another free mini-sermon. But it's been interesting to me over the years of ministry that I've been in, the people I've met and journeyed with, that usually when someone is upset with me and wanting me to speak more harshly against a particular sin, it's almost always a sin that they don't actually struggle with. It's just been interesting to me. I can shout amen with the best of them when I hear a sermon about a sin that I don't really have a problem with. Hallelujah. Great sermon, pastor. But it's, it's, it's those ones when... And it may not even be a sermon from a pulpit. It's when I allow the truth of Scripture to speak to my life. It probes deep into who I am. And it finds those places that need to be confronted by truth. That need to be confronted and, and, and led to paths of righteousness as I submit to that truth and the leading of the Holy Spirit. When the Lord is our shepherd, he leads us to paths of righteousness. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. When the Lord is our shepherd, he guides us into paths of righteousness because those are paths we need to be guided to. I suspect you're like me. We don't just drift there. I have to be intentional. It's the whole idea of spiritual formation. To become more like Jesus, I'm not going to accidentally become more like him. 
not going to become more like him by default. There has to be intention about my life. And a big part of that intention is my surrender to the work of the Spirit in me to lead me in paths of righteousness. In other words, I, to use the words of my son, Zach, I don't just drift towards his story. I tend to drift towards living my story. Here's what I have found to be the fundamental difference between his story and my story. At the center of my story is me. At the center of his story is Jesus. And if I'm not intentional, if I'm not submitted and surrendered to the work of the Spirit, I'll pursue my story instead of his. David was no different than that. He was the same. David was a man who was described as a man after God's own heart. And yet, look at what, or listen, it won't be on the screen, but in Psalm 25 and verse 4, this is what David wrote. He said, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. David too recognized that he needed to be guided and taught the ways of the Lord. And righteousness, I've learned over the years, is not just those things that we are to avoid. It's also about embracing what we need to embrace. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, we have a ministry here called Serve 6-8. And, and Micah 6-8 is one of the verses that is foundational to that ministry. And this is what it says. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. That's part of the path of righteousness. Those things that we embrace. That life that we choose to lead. And that leads me to the last part of our verse. David writes, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Why does he guide us into those paths? It's for his name's sake. Uh, a, a while back, I guess it was last year, I think, uh, Pastor Brent and Pastor Dick and myself did a series on the Lord's Prayer. And, and that was just a powerful series for me. That is still just impacting my life. And, and we looked at it through the lens of recalibrating your life through that prayer, becoming the model for prayer in your life. And uh, uh, part of that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is to pray, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name literally means may your name be holy or make his name holy. So when I pray hallowed be your name, what I'm praying is that, that my life would exalt his name rather than profane his name. That's what I'm praying when I pray hallowed be your name. That's my desire that I would exalt his name. When I walk in paths of righteousness, it exalts God's name. It makes his name famous. Yes, it's true. It's the best story for my life. It's the best story for me to live. But even greater than that, it brings honor and glory to God's name. And at the end of the day, what matters most is that my life, that I live to exalt his name. That every aspect of my life would, would, would be honoring to him. One of, the, one of the things that 
I try to filter through my life, and sometimes I do well, and sometimes I don't. But it's, it's to use that question as a filter for decisions in my life. If I'm confronted with a decision, I want to ask myself, which way, this way or this way, will bring the most glory to God? What decision will honor him the most in my life? Because ultimately, that's why I'm here to bring honor and glory and praise to God. At the end of the paths of righteousness is the glory of God. And God displays his glory for the enjoyment of his people out of his love for us. If we live to his glory, we experience the greatness of his glory, the enjoyment of his glory, the presence of his love in our lives. So as, as we begin to, to move our thoughts here in, in just a few minutes towards receiving the emblems of communion, which are, are so relevant throughout, I mean, it's relevant every day of our lives as followers of Jesus, but certainly relevant to the 23rd Psalm. I mean, the reality is our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. There's no hope for righteousness in us apart from what Jesus has accomplished, apart from his righteousness. But as we, as we begin to move our thoughts in that direction, my guess is that, that there are some of us, maybe many of us, that are here tonight who are in need of restoration, that, that you need your soul to be restored. It's dry, it's empty, it's broken. Maybe it's because of the difficulties of life. It never ceases to amaze me. One of the things that we do here every week is, is we, we have the list of all of the prayer requests that come in from a connection card that people write on a weekend or sometimes they'll email the church, sometimes they will call and just ask if, if this be put on this list to pray. And, and so every week as pastors, we pray Oh, and others also pray over that list. And, and it, it, it amazes me at some of the challenges that, that people face. It's sometimes we don't realize when we come into a room like this or on a weekend, especially in a, in a room that's filled with people, the stories and the pain that may be sitting right next to you as people go through very difficult things. And I know some of you may be here tonight, just circumstances of life, the betrayal of of people in your life, friends, spouse, whatever, any number of circumstances just left you empty and dry and broken. And you just need to be reminded tonight that when the Lord is our shepherd, he's the one who restores our soul. He restores our soul. He's the one who takes broken, empty lives and makes something new. He's the one who does that. And I, I want to be able to pray for you. Some of you, your soul is broken, dry, and empty because you've just strayed from the story God intended for you to live. You're living your own story. If you're like me, one of the things I've mastered because I've grown up in church, I've mastered using the vocabulary of his story even when I'm really just living my own. 
And I can deceive myself into thinking I'm living his story because I know the vocabulary so well. But at the center, it's really just about me. Maybe you've strayed from the life God's called you to live. And you're living for yourself. He still is the one who restores our soul as we come to him in brokenness and repentance. He's the shepherd who restores our soul. He's the one who will lead us to paths of righteousness so that our lives bring honor and glory to him. And so I, I want us to pray tonight. We don't do this a whole lot, but, but I want us to pray specifically for people that, that need for their soul to be restored for whatever reason whether it's circumstances of life or your own choices. We're not going to single that out. But I'm going to ask you, if, if that's you, and you would say, I want you to pray that God would restore my soul. I'm going to ask you to be bold enough to actually stand up so that we can come around you and put a hand on your shoulder. I know that's risky. I, I realize that. But this is, this is Wednesday night. This, this is a, a, a journey that we're on together to... to go deeper into who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. And part of that is community. And part of that is being vulnerable and transparent so people can help you and journey with you. And so if you would say, I need prayer that God would restore my soul, would you just stand right where you are? Just stand up and, and we'll give you just a moment here. And thank you for being honest and real. Now, if you would do me a favor, if you would look around and actually move out of your seat and just go put a hand on their shoulder. You don't even need to ask what it is they're praying about. That may be just between them and God. But if you would put a hand on their shoulder, and let's make sure everyone who's standing has someone near them. And I just want us to call out to our great shepherd who restores our soul. Will you join me? God, we lift up to you our brothers, our sisters, who just bravely stood to their feet in a moment of vulnerability to ask you, God, to restore what is broken in their lives. They recognize, and you know all the details. You know why. You know even the stuff that they haven't fully realized yet. But God, I thank you that we don't have to totally figure it all out to be able to just come to you and say, help. Help. God, restore dry, empty, broken souls and lead us to paths of righteousness that we might bring you honor and glory with our lives. God, heal broken, wounded hearts. Tonight, I pray, embrace with your presence as only you can and, and infuse hope where there has only been despair. God, do what human beings cannot do. Work miraculously in the midst of, of brokenness in people to restore, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.